0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Day, okay, all
1: services throughout the day. If you have your Bibles, and you would like to turn to the book of First Peter, just two verses the first Peter <laughs> Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ through the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Lithuania elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father Through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ Jesus, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word. Our Father, as we now wait upon you for the outpouring of your Spirit upon us, we are so thankful for each who have come and we pray a blessing upon us all. For those who are visiting with us this morning, we thank you and we pray our Father that this experience will have been a mountaintop one for them. For those of us are Father who come from Sunday to Sunday, we also ask that you would bless our lives today and lift us up as we prepare for a great time of resurrection come next Sunday. For any who are unsaved in this congregation, we ask thy spirit to speak to them in a special way. They would come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on three words. You will find them somewhat hidden, perhaps, but you will find them in the second verse that, that we read words are predestination, sanctification, and confirmation. Now, those aren't good Baptist words, but they're good Bible words, and they're good church words that are used by many churches, and I think somewhat misunderstood in some cases. I hope that we can clear up the meaning of those three words this morning as to how they apply to your life and. Mind. Peter is writing this little letter to a number of Christians that have spread throughout a large portion of the world in both Europe and Asia. Remember, they are Christian. And he calls them the elect. First word in the second verse. He says they are the elect. If you would read from the Living Bible or some other translations, you would find that word chosen. And I have used it from the Living Bible as the title of the message this morning. The Living Bible says chosen by the foreknowledge of God. You were chosen to be saved. Did you know that? There's some misunderstanding as to really what that means. There are people who would say, well, if, if I have been chosen of God to be saved, then there's really nothing that I can do about it. So why worry about it? I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell because God's already made his selection. I think we will dispel a little bit with that theory this morning. Back in Ephesians, Paul made these statements in the first chapter, verses 4 and 5, and I preached from this particular passage of Scripture some weeks back, maybe months back now, and I used the word study at that time, and used the word chosen, adopted, redemption, and sealed. I don't know if any of you will remember, if you didn't, I can preach that one over someday. Uh, You really remember that sermon? Well, I can't preach it over. How many of you remember that sermon? Four words, be honest. Four people. Well, if you four aren't here, I'll preach that one over someday. But in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. There's where I get the word predestinated. It's not in the chapter uh, here in Peter that we just read. We are predestined by God before he created the world to be saved. God wants all of us to be saved. But in his wisdom, he knows that some of us will never accept Jesus Christ, his son. Now, let's put this together. God wants everybody to be saved, but God knows everybody won't. There probably are people in this congregation who will go to hell. And God knows you're going to hell because he is so wise that he can determine what will happen before it happens. All of us who are parents have some of this wisdom. Just a little of it. We who are parents can look at our children and know what they will or won't do before they do it or don't do it. My son was always so surprised that I could outthink him and knew what he was going to do and anticipate it and be prepared for his idiotic ideas. That's the way I thought of them. He didn't think they were idiotic, but I did. And I would already know how to respond to his request with a yes or a no, and he was surprised that I could do that. He didn't know, I think he knows today, but he didn't know then, that well, I've got a little bit of God in me. And that little bit gives me the power to understand ahead of time some things about my family. Will you take your little bit of ability that you have to know what your child is going to do and multiply that unendingly and you will suddenly discover that God has the capability of knowing what all of his people are going to do before they ever begin to do it. So much does he have this power that the scripture says that he had already predetermined who was going to be saved even before he made the world. God knew you were going to be and that I was going to be before we ever became. Now that's difficult to comprehend, but that's God's capability. Even before the foundation of the world, God knew who would be and who would not be saved. The Presbyterians, because of this thing of predestination, are not very evangelistic because they have taken the theological position that it's fate. Uh, there is no human intervention in salvation. If God's going to do it, he'll do it. If he's not going to do it, he won't do it. But that's not what the scripture really teaches. 2 Peter 3.9, the very same person who is preaching as, as I just read, says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you hear that? God is not willing, not willing, that anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. So where does this put man? Well, it puts man today, like man in the Garden of Eden, when God gave to Adam the will To do right, or the will to do wrong. The will to sin, or the will to be sinless, in Adam's case, he had the right. It's called free will. We have Baptists who have assumed that title, and I suppose it's a good title, because that's exactly right. We have the free will to do with our lives as we want, and God will not override our will. If we will be saved, all well and good. If we will not be saved, God will not prohibit us from going to hell if that's what we want to do. There was a man who lived in the community where I grew up by the name of John Wise. John Wise was looked upon as an atheist. He never went to church. The day came when John Wise was very ill, and John Wise sent out a message to the community that he was going to preach a sermon at his home. He could not get out of bed. That was exciting. The people of the community came from miles around to that man's home. Somebody set up a loudspeaking system. They had some quartet music, and they really had a, a, a service set up because everybody wanted to hear a sermon that this supposed atheist was going to preach. The man laying on his bed with the microphone so that he could be heard all outside the house, Began to tell the story that he was not an atheist, that he had believed in God and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, and God called him to preach. John Wise said, and I said, No, I will not preach. And he never did until his last day on earth. And he yielded. God allowed him to live his entire life and never preach. Because the man said no. You see, every man has the right to make his own decision, and if we want to say no to God, we can say no to God. But listen, the consequences are severe. This man preached his sermon and explained to the people that God had called him to preach, and he had said no. And he said, "I'm about to die, and I'm going now to be obedient unto God." The last act. Of our life and he preached his sermon he laid down the microphone and he laid back in his bed and he was gone a wasted life of one who was so determined to exercise his own will that he would not hear and heed the call of God in his life this is what we get ourselves into many times, our lives are wasted Because God calls us to a task and we say no. And God honors our answer. If you say no to God today, you better hope that God will not honor your answer. Salvation is man's decision. I believe it was Hunt who painted the painting of Jesus standing at the heart's door and knocking. You remember that picture? After the painting was completed, one of Mr. Hunt's friends was looking at the painting, and as he studied it, he said, there's something wrong with the painting. He said, there's no door latch. No door latch. And Mr. Hunt said, There's nothing wrong with the painting because there is no door latch on the outside of the heart. The door latch to the heart is on the inside. Jesus will not force himself into or onto anybody. The scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man or woman will hear my voice, will open the door, and I will come in. But never, never, never does he break down the door. He simply makes himself available. Available at the heart, with the gentle knock, the plea, the encouragement. I want to come in, but man must open the door and allow him to come But even though Jesus knows because of his mighty wisdom that some people will say no to the knock, he still stands knocking and knocking. And he will knock until death comes into a person's life and separates the body and soul. Only then will the knock cease because God is not willing that any man should perish but that all should come. Salvation. Salvation. Out in front of our church is a four-lane highway. I think that four-lane highway represents the highway to hell. But beside that four-lane highway, there's a little building. And on top of that building, there's a steeple and it points upward. I don't think it's possible for anyone to drive down this road in front of this building. But what... He must recognize that it's there for the purpose of pointing upward to God. As I drive by this church every day on my way to work now, I always look and see the steeple pointing upward. And it's never pointed the other direction. It says to the people on the highway to hell, there is a refuge here where the gospel is preached The message of Jesus is proclaimed and salvation is offered to those who are predestined to be saved by the power of God. The Christ who stands at the heart's door continues to knock. The second word is sanctification. What is that anyway? Let me give you a definition. I've had people ask me if I have been sanctified. My answer is no. I'll explain that a little bit further. I have not been sanctified. None of you have been sanctified. Sanctification has a couple of meanings. Part of which we can say we have been sanctified, but not in the general meaning that is asked by the Word. Sanctification means to set aside for God's service. In that definition, maybe you can answer, and I can answer, that we have been sanctified, that is, that we have been set aside for God's service. This building has been sanctified. It has been set aside for God's service. This building, this room in which we are in, is a sanctuary, meaning that it has been dedicated to the service of God, and that's why we must be cautious and careful what takes place in this particular uh, room, because it has been set aside to the service of God, and anything that does not serve God in its intent certainly ought not to take place within it. It's important that we reverence and respect a, a place that's been set aside for the service of God. Secondly, our sanctification means that it belongs to God. It belongs to God. Now, in this I can say I'm sanctified because I belong to God. Most of you can say you're sanctified in that you belong to God. That is, there was a day In your life and mine, when the Holy Spirit came into your life and set down a flagpole and put on the flag and said, I declare that this life belongs to God. In fact, we're sanctified. Like an explorer who uh, went to the North Pole or to the South Pole or to... Uh, the moon, or wherever, and put down that flag and said, I claim this in the name of the Queen of England or the United States or whoever. It became a possession of the country represented by the explorer when the Holy Spirit got access to your life and mine, he laid claim to you and to me in the name of God. And therefore we belong to God. In fact, we are sanctified, if that's what we mean by sanctification. The Holy Spirit came in and Satan went out. You see, Satan and the Holy Spirit cannot live in the same life. He cannot occupy the same position. If we are saved, it's because the Holy Spirit laid claim to us in the name of God and put out Satan. He's no longer there. He cannot be in charge. We don't have to listen to Satan. You know that? Because he's not the power and the control in our life. Now, go back to the question. Have you been sanctified? No. Because sanctification is, is a continuing, ongoing, forever process as long as you and I are on this earth. It is a change being made in our lives continually. We are being sanctified, which means we are being made holy. We are not now holy. We are being made holy. We must be made holy in order to enter the presence of God for nothing impure or sinful can enter his presence. It is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to begin a process and continue it as long as we live to make us acceptable to the presence of God. So, we are being sanctified. Continually, a process going on that will not cease. Paul said to the Philippians, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you heard what I said, you can understand, I think, what the interpretation that I believe this verse has on it. I am confident that the Holy Spirit began a process in my life and in yours and it's ongoing, and he will perfect it. He is working on it to bring us to a state of acceptability. And as long as we are on this earth, he is going to be doing that. All right. Sanctification. Peter said we are sanctified through the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling. There comes the third word I want us to notice. Confirmation. Confirmation. Confirmed. Back in the book of Exodus, chapters 21 through 23, you will discover if you read those that there's a whole set of commandments that God gave the Hebrew people during their period of time in the wilderness, during the Exodus time. And Moses brought those commandments to the people. Exodus chapter 24 is where I want to go. Moses brought those commandments to the people and told them what the Lord wanted from the people. Verse 3 of chapter 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. The last phrase of the third verse, and all the words which the Lord said, we will do. That's the response of the people. Whatever the Lord says, we will do. All right, going down to verse 6. In order to seal this agreement, see, God has made some provisions, and the people said, yes, that's. we'll do that. We'll do that. Okay, to seal that agreement, down in verse 6, the latter phrase, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. They always sprinkle blood on the altar. All right. And then verse 7, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, Ah, that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. They didn't know what they were getting themselves in for. They agreed to a lot of things that they didn't keep, but they agreed to it. Verse 8, Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Two things he did. He sprinkled the blood on the altar, half of it. The other half he sprinkled on the people. He covered them with blood. This was the process of sealing the agreement that they made with God. God said, I will. The people said, we will. To seal this agreement, they took half the blood and sprinkled it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. The other half, they covered the people. I'm getting to a point. It is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts, to make us pure, to sanctify us. And he's got a job on his hands. Do you realize how difficult it is to make you And me, perfect. I mean, some of us are a little more difficult than others. But all of us are a pretty good-sized job to make us perfect. The Holy Spirit's job is to make us perfect. All right. What's our part? What's our part? Our part is to do exactly what the Old Testament people did. And say, we will live according to the way the Lord wants us to live. That's our part. God saves. We respond to that salvation and say we will agree to it. But what's our part? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I want you to listen to those words. This is what our part is. With the heart, man believes. With the mouth, man confesses what he believes. I do not think there is such a thing as a secret Christian. You're fooling yourself and anybody else if you think that you can be a Christian and not let anybody know about it. I had a man come to me in a revival meeting. He came forward and professed his faith in Jesus Christ and, and asked to be baptized and, and the whole thing. And after the service was over, he said to me privately, he said, I want you to know I've been a Christian for a long, long time. I just never told anybody. And I said, Brother, you've never been a Christian. You've never been a Christian. If you think you can move your faith and nobody will ever hear about it, you're fooling yourself because it may happen. Salvation is something that God does for us, but what our part is, is to proclaim that which we say we believe. That's our part. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's our job, is to say so. Our part then is to confess with our mouth that which we say we believe in our heart, And then in order to seal this covenant, this relationship between us and God, there has to be blood. God said from the very beginning without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. The Egyptian episode of the Passover illustrates this, I think, very well. Hebrew people were ready to leave Egypt on a moment's notice. They were told to kill a lamb and to eat the meat of the lamb, but they were also told to take the blood, and they were to smear it across the doorposts of their house, and everybody was to stay inside the house that night because the death angel was going to pass over, and everybody who was outside the house where the blood was smeared, there would be death in the home of every person and even of of the livestock, and so the death angel passed over. And this, the Lord said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Meaning, when I see the blood on your house, I will not strike death in your house. You shall live because you're covered with the blood. You have made the seal of the covenant. You have been confirmed with God that you are saved. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that confirms your salvation. Without the blood of Christ, there is no salvation. There has been no confirmation of the relationship between man and God. The blood of Christ must cover one's sins. And the blood of Christ will not cover one's sins until he believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth. That's the confirmation of our salvation. You may believe that in Jesus Christ. You may believe in God. And I have never yet talked to a single person in my whole life, but what admits there's a God. I don't know that I have ever talked to anybody but what also believes that Jesus is the Son of God, although I understand there are plenty like that. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus as the Son of God? Listen, you're not going to be saved until you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. Take your stand. Let your belief be confirmed by the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. I think this morning, as we have thought about the pending resurrection of Christ in Sunday school, we ought to conclude with this thought, that we should be standing beneath the cross of Christ this morning that his blood might cleanse us of our sins. That's the confirmation of our salvation is that the blood runs down over us and purifies us. If you're not a Christian this morning, won't you accept him as your Lord and Savior? You will not be saved until you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and the blood of Christ will cleanse you of your sins at that point, It's that simple, but it's that important. I suppose it's really that bit complicated predestined to be saved sanctified confirmed are you sure of your salvation has it been confirmed if it hasn't been or if you have never been saved if you want to become a part of this church do I rededicate your life to the Lord? We give you an opportunity during our invitation time to make your decisions going. We pray that you will come forward and make well known.